message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Just a very quick uh, personal update. Uh, thank you for those of you who have been praying for me over uh, recent weeks. Uh, some of you will know I've been uh, suffering with a kidney stone and been in and out of hospital a number of times over the last few months. Uh, I'm still having some treatments. Uh, it's not, uh, doesn't seem to be quite there yet. Uh, but please carry on praying. Thank you for your love and support and, uh, and prayers. I've really appreciated that over the last few months or so. And uh, trusting that we'll see the end of this very soon. But what has struck me in uh, recent weeks and recent months, I guess, having uh, been suffering with this, that something so small could cause such a major impact on my life. Now, according to my surgeon, I had a kidney stone, uh, which, if I remember rightly, was about six mil in size. And part of the reason it was causing me such intense pain for a while was it got stuck in a tube inside me that was only five mil wide. And you can imagine what that caused. But it's interesting that something probably about this size, which I guess is the size of a pea, around about this size, has caused me so much pain, discomfort, agony, and uh, problems in the last few months. Because compared to me, this is tiny. You can barely see it, probably, if you're at the back. It's about the size of a garden pea. But I've realised that something that small has actually had a major impact on my life. And not just on my life, but on my family's life. It's impacted my job in terms of what I can do. And so that's had a knock-on effect on other people, particularly John and Matt, and as they've picked up some additional responsibilities recently. So something just this size has actually affected a whole load of people, not just me. And yet it's tiny, and if I threw it over there, you, sorry if I hit you just over this there, you probably wouldn't even be able to see it, in a, let alone where it is. But small things, I've discovered, can have a large impact. That's a minute thing. And it's had a huge impact, a huge impact on me. Now Jesus spoke about mustard seeds sometimes, and they're really tiny. And he said this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, if you're making notes or looking it up. He said this, he told them another parable. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Do you know how small a mustard seed is? Well, there's some mustard seeds there. They are tiny, absolutely minute, tiny little seeds. And yet Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. So mustard seed is tiny. Yet when it grows, it becomes, well not quite a tree, but you know, a pretty big shrub. 
probably three or four metres in height. And it can grow pretty quick as well. So it's something that's tiny ends up having a huge impact. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is a bit like that. Something that you see is very small maybe, but actually can have a huge impact. It seems to be a common theme through the Bible. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you think that Jesus had 12 disciples, who would have thought that 12 disciples could have had, 12 guys could have had such an impact on the world, even 2,000 years later. Think of the early church, it was tiny. Jesus had some crowds that were following him, but largely he invested in just 12 people. And one of those went off the rails, so actually he was down to 11. So just 11 people Jesus had invested his life in. A tiny number. If, if you were going to think about a plan to, you know, to impact the nations, impact the world with your message, you, you might choose more than 11 to start with. It's not going to go very far, you might think. But just the 11 that Jesus had left there, tiny number. And yet that grew to around about 120, we're told, as they gathered in the upper room. After Jesus went back to heaven, there they are praying, waiting on God. Jesus said to them, listen, wait until you receive the gift my Father promised. And so there they are, about 120 or so, probably in a room, something like this, I guess, upstairs. A bit scared, because the Romans, they thought the Romans might be after them. And then suddenly, something that is tiny to start with has a massive impact. Suddenly, the early church becomes thousands. And suddenly, the gospel starts to go forth. Michael Green, in his commentary on Matthew, says, significance cannot be measured in terms of numbers. Significance cannot be measured in terms of numbers. But even small beginnings can have huge impacts. Small actions can produce huge results. Once upon a time, there was a guy that is known to me, and uh, he started to make some friends at work. And he'd heard all the sermons, as we all have, about making friends with people and seeking to reach them with the love of God. And so it was for him that he began to uh, build some relationships with those he worked amongst. And over a period of time, it wasn't days, it was a matter of months and maybe even years, I guess, he started to build some friendships. And, uh, you know, those who were around him got interested in what uh, he was like as a person and his family. And, you know, this guy invited one or two of his colleagues uh, perhaps to a barbecue at his home or, or maybe something we put on, like a quiz night. And he built some relationship. And, and over time... Uh, he invited his friend, he said, listen, we've got this thing called an Alpha Course. And uh, on it, you'll find out what, what, what it is to follow Jesus. You'll find out a bit more about loving God. Do you want to come? You know, and, and I'll tell you what, the first evening, it's over a meal, and the first evening you can come anyway, and he's having a curry, and why don't you just come and check it out? And so his friend came. And his friend came and thought, yeah, this is interesting. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do this Alpha Course. And his friend came on, on the Alpha course. 
And then we send them, it, it came to pass that uh, his friend became a Christian, as did his fiancée. And so what has happened, what was just a small action of someone saying, do you want to come to a quiz night, like Matt talked about? A few months later, do you want to come for a free curry that our church is doing <laughs> and find out a bit more about Jesus? Suddenly those tiny actions have produced massive results in people's lives. Sometimes that we think it takes huge actions to see people saved. But the truth of the matter is, more often than not, seeing people become Christians takes lots of small steps. Lots of small steps. Maybe several, maybe a few, maybe lots. But generally, they're small steps. I mean, think a moment about your journey to faith. If you're a Christian here this morning, think about how you became a Christian. What, what was the process for you? I would imagine that for many of you, it was some small steps that were taken over a period of time that led up to you making a decision to put your trust in Jesus. I would guess. Probably small steps. And probably there was somebody else involved in the process. I mean, we even describe the Christian life as a journey sometimes, don't we? And a journey is something of steps, something that you take over time. Even large evangelistic crusades, some of you will remember things like Billy Graham meetings uh, in this country in years gone past and other sort of big crusades. Maybe you even went to one. Maybe you saw the guy or you watched it on a video screen. Lots of people. But they're full of people who have been invited by a friend. Sometimes we can think, oh, that's interesting, lots of people came to hear the guy. The truth is, you look at the stats, and it's lots of people came because lots of people were invited by their friends. Now, there's lots of publicity around those sort of crusades, and that helps. It helps build the profile, so that when you invite someone, they've heard of what's going on, that's good. But generally, they're full of people who have been invited by a friend. They're full of people who a friend has said to them, why don't you come to this with me? And it's because of this. It's because their friend is confident in taking them somewhere where they think they can meet with God and that experience will do them good. That's what they're confident in. They're so confident in their relationship with Jesus. They're so confident that if they were to get their friend in a place where they could encounter God, their life would be changed for the better, radically. In Numbers chapter 9 and chapter 10, you don't have to turn to it, I'm going to just pick out a few verses. We reread about the Israelites. And uh, they've been in Egypt, they've been, cap- they've been captive in Egypt, and uh, God, through Moses, has led them out. And they're now spending 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert. They're wandering around the desert. And... Um, we see that God leads them, but they're, they're in the desert, and they're, they're, they're out there. And in Numbers 9 and 10, we, we see something of how God leads them, and what actually happens. And we see that you know, God speaks to Moses, and uh, he gives Moses some instructions. Moses is their leader at this time. And Numbers chapter 9 tells us about a cloud, It tells us about a cloud. 
But this isn't just a normal cloud that you might look up and see in the sky, but rather this is a cloud of the presence of God. And we read in Numbers 9 and 10 that the Israelites followed this cloud. They hadn't got a map. At the time, there wasn't an ordnance survey map of the desert. And let's face it, even if there was, probably much of it would look very similar. Just sort of a great yellow space of desert. A few mountains. And probably not a lot else. So even if you had a map, it might not be a lot, lot of good. It might just say, oh, there's a tree there and a mountain a few miles that way. You're not going to get a lot of detail in terms of roads. There aren't going to be any road signs. There's, there's no sort of uh, crossroads where it says, you know, if you want to go to Sinai, turn left here, two miles down the road. It doesn't exist. But for them, they're not following a map, but rather they're following the clouds. And they're following the presence of God. And we see that the cloud covered the tents of meeting. And uh, this is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it. And at night, well at night you can't really see clouds, can you, in the same way. At night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, this is Numbers 9.17, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As long as the clouds stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. It's quite straightforward, isn't it? They were following the clout, following the presence of God. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites should remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they'd set out. So they're looking for the clouds. And they're following the cloud. I mean, that's the whole message in itself. And, uh, you know, especially after praying this morning for the presence of God and us encountering him in our worship, that's key to follow and look for the presence of God. I wonder, in your life, let me ask you a question, you don't have to answer it out loud, but let me ask you this, are you following the presence of God in your life? Are you after the presence of God? Moses was so desperate for the presence of God, that in Exodus 33, when God says that he'll drive out Israelites, uh, sorry, he'll drive out Israel's enemies, but not go with them himself, Moses is distraught. He's saying, Lord, don't send us up without your presence. He wants the presence of God to go with him. I wonder, does that describe you? Does that describe you? Maybe, perhaps you're not even sure what the presence of God looks like or would look like for you. I wonder, does it describe you? Anyway, back to Numbers. In chapter 10, Moses is having a chat to his brother-in-law. And we read this in verse 29 of Numbers chapter 10. Then Moses said to Hobab, who is a son of Ruel, the Midianite, who is also known as Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, we're setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we'll do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. So Moses is chatting to this guy and he's saying, listen, if you come with us, it'll be good for you because God is with us. If you come with us, we'll do you good because God 
is with us. And Moses was confident of God blessing Hobab just for being with them. He knew the presence of God was around and he knew that if Hobab came on the journey, he would get blessed too. Numbers 10, 29. So I wonder, are you confident to invite somebody expecting God to meet them? Like the story we heard earlier of someone who invited their friend from work because he was confident that if the guy came, there's a good chance of him meeting God for himself. And he knew that if that happened, it would do him good. And it was good for him. Are you confident in the presence of God? Are you confident to say to somebody, hey, why don't you come? Be good for you. You come. God will do you good. God will bless you. What about the man who planted the mustard seeds? Think about it for a moment. They're tiny little seeds, aren't they? If he hadn't, this is going to be profound, okay? Listen carefully to this. If he hadn't planted the seed, he wouldn't have got the plant. It's profound, isn't it? Tim's impressed. If he hadn't have planted the seed, the plant would not have grown. Those of you who are here for the first time are thinking, man, this guy's profound. This is deep. It's about as deep as it gets. But listen carefully. If he hadn't planted it, the mustard plant would not have grown. Do you see where it's going? Jesus often talked about farmers. I mean, he lived in a farming community, didn't he? It was a natural illustration. Have we got any farmers here this morning? Are any of you farmers? Okay, no farmers in the city. Probably if we're meeting maybe 30 miles up the road in the Peak District, we might be gathering some farmers. But seeing as the most of us are living in a big city, there's not many, farm, not many farming opportunities around. Not even in our back garden. They could do with a couple of sheep to keep the grass down, perhaps. But Jesus often spoke about farmers. Now, for us, we have to work harder sometimes to understand the illustration. But Jesus spoke about a sower in Matthew 13, a little bit earlier. And he spoke about somebody who was sowing seed, probably not dissimilar to the seed that's in this guy's hand on the screen. And we read that the sower goes out and sows the seed. Still profound, isn't it? It's good, isn't it? So the sower goes out and sows the seed. But we read in the passage that he's not terribly interested in where it lands. He isn't paying a whole load of attention. He's just sowing the seed. He's just doing what he does in terms of sowing the seed walking around the field, sowing the seed. From his hand, probably, much the same as this. Because he knows if he didn't sow, he wouldn't get a harvest. If you want a harvest, you have to sow the seed. If you want to get the crop, you have to plant the seed to start with. And friends, the same is true for you and I in seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have to sow the seed. We've got to sow the seeds. Now, let's be really clear. God does not have to use us. God, being God, could do things all by himself. And arguably, it will be quicker, more expedient, and a lot more efficient than using you or I in the process. Or maybe it's just me. But God chooses to use us. He chooses to involve us in what he's doing. I learned something recently. And it's this. In our culture, the farmer ploughs the seed, ploughs the field, and then he sows the seed. 
In biblical times and culture, it was different. The sower would go out first. The sower would go out, sow the seed, and then the plough would come and turn over the ground, the seed being already on the ground, planting it as it went. So this means that the sower isn't particularly bothered about where the seed lands because he knows that his job is just to sow the seed. He knows that the plough is on its way. He's got to sow the seed. He knows the plough is coming. Now with us, with us sharing our faith, we can sow seed in both ways. We could sow seed by cultivating friendships to start with. We've often talked about that and that's important. Develop friendships, develop relationships and invite people to come. Confident that God will do them good as they come. Maybe you invite them to a guest service like the one in a couple of weeks' time. Maybe you invite them to a quiz night just to meet some other people first. Maybe you invite them on an Alpha course. Maybe you look for an opportunity for when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you share your faith. You give a word of testimony. You're looking to build a friendship and then build on it. But secondly, there might be opportunities that you have that God gives you and prompts you where you haven't made the ground ready. And you feel prompted to say something, you think, Lord, I haven't, I haven't made the ground ready here. I haven't built the friendship. I haven't you know, invested in that yet. But you feel God saying something to you, to say something. Well, that's okay. Because if God's prompting you, it means this. It means the plough is on its way. The plough of the Holy Spirit is coming. And all you've got to do is sow that seed, speak that word, give that invitation, or explain something to somebody, maybe share your testimony, because you can be confident that if God prompts you, the plough's coming. The plough of the Holy Spirit is on its way. You see, God uses us to sow seed. So I wonder, are you sowing seed? Are you looking for opportunities? Are you open to the Holy Spirit prompting you and saying, just say something here. Give a word of testimony here. Invite somebody there. So sowing and reaping is a biblical principle. You sow what you reap, you will have sown first. And you sow what you reap. If you want to reap people coming to faith in Christ, then we need to be doing some sowing. So sowing seed is good. The seed of God's words. But as well as that, we need to be confident that we can invite people, being confident even that we can sow seed, being confident that we can invite people knowing that they're meeting God, they're meeting the presence of God, will do them good. Confident it will make a difference in their lives. And we've got opportunities just ahead of us in the next few weeks where we can be sowing and where we can be reaping. So we talked about New Day recently, haven't we, in terms of what's happening in the summer, we need all of us to be involved in this. It's such a big opportunity with hundreds of kids coming to serve us for a week. We've got some opportunities to sow seed during that week. Maybe it's opportunities to do some weeding as well, quite literally. We've got opportunities to sow seed and demonstrate the gospel to people. We've got opportunities to reap as well. So we've got an hour for supper booked on the um, 13th of August. Kelly Bryan, who used to be in Eternal, the R&B band, will be with us, sharing her testimony, talking about how she came to faith in Jesus. And we've discovered over the years that Alpha works best when somebody gets a personal invitation. So we'll be doing some leafleting, and that's good. 
But it's best when you can say to somebody, why don't you come? You may have heard of her, you may not, doesn't matter. Why don't you come and hear something about her? Hear something of her testimony. Why don't you come, have a free meal on us, free curry, and hear something about this girl's testimony. Hear something of her story. So that's happening in the summer. And then in a couple of weeks' time, we've got Front Edge. So our guest service on the 18th of May, two weeks' time. It's a great opportunity for us. Make use of the conference on the Saturday that Matt talked about earlier. You're going to be trained and growing evangelistic skills. But our vision has always been to reach people for Christ. And Front Edge gives us a focus. That guest service gives us an opportunity to sow some seed and to do some reaping as well. So I want to urge you, get hold of the invitations that are over at the back that Matt talked about. Those postcards that say, looking for hope. And uh, here are, thanks Matt. You take a watch, we've got some left. So take loads, invite your friends, say, why don't you come to this? It could do you good. Let's be confident in when we're bringing people into the presence of God, that it will do them good. Sow some seed. Let me give you a few real quick practicals before we pray. Two weeks' time, I want to ask you for a few things. So if you're part of Jubilee, listen, listen we, need to do, we need to do this well. We're hosting people who are going to come. Hosting people who are wanting to find out more. So let's serve them well. Let's make sure we're here early. Quarter past ten so we can greet people. Let's make sure visitors are welcome really well. Come prepared to pray with people. Come prepared for probably a busy morning. Maybe lots of visitors. Many of these invitations will have gone out already. Let's be prepared. Let's be asking God for his presence too. Because we know that it's in God's presence that people meet him. And this is we were praying earlier for God's presence to come. And he did and he met with us. It's meeting with God that does people good. That's why Moses could say to Hobab, listen, come with us, we'll do you good. It wasn't because they had a map. In fact, Hobab knew the desert far better than Moses. So he wasn't saying to Hobab, come with us and you won't get lost. He wasn't saying, come with us and we'll we'll find our way to where we're going. He was saying, come with us and we'll do you good because God was with them. Because the presence of God was with them. That was his confidence. Not in a map, not in knowing necessarily the journey that was ahead. Hobab knew the desert better than he did. But he was confident was in God and confidence was in God's presence. I wonder, is your confidence high like that? Can you say to somebody, come with us, come to this, why don't you come with us to this event, this guest meeting, this alpha, whatever it might be. Come with us, it'll do you good. Do you have that confidence in meeting with God? Do you have that confidence in the gospel? I want to pray in a second. Perhaps the band can come back just as we begin to wrap this up, guys. I want to pray that we'd have a real confidence in the gospel. I want to pray that we'd have a boldness to ask people. No matter you, but sometimes I think I need some boldness here. I want to pray for that boldness this morning. I want to pray too that we'd know the presence of God. Because it's knowing and experiencing his presence that will give us confidence then to invite someone. Confidence to say, come with us. We'll do you good because God is with us. His presence is amongst us.
and you can meet with him in this opportunity. Let's stand together. We're going to pray as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence amongst us. And we thank you, Lord, that Moses could say to Hobab, come with us and we'll do you good. And it wasn't about anything that he had. It wasn't about having a map or even knowing a destination, but rather it was his confidence in your presence, his confidence in you going with them. And so, Father, I want to pray this morning that we would have such a confidence in you. I pray you'd give us a real boldness, give us a real confidence in the gospel and a confidence in your presence, knowing that as we experience you, knowing that as our friends experience you, that they'll be changed, it will do them good. Father, our heart is that we'd see many come to faith in you, see you uh, work in their lives. We want to see you lifted up. We want to see many come to faith in this city and beyond. And so, Father, we pray that you might use us in the process. Even though you don't have to, you choose to. And so this morning, we want to say that we're available to you. We want to say, Lord, that we're here for you. Would you be exalted and glorified amongst us, please? In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.